Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we gather together, mindful of the abundant provisions that you have laid out for us. Indeed, in the midst of our hunger and thirst, you have come to feed us. You have come to give us drink. You have come to strengthen us and set our feet on solid ground. And now, gracious God, because of your faithfulness to us, we open ourselves to you anew, praying that your spirit would move within us and among us during this time of preaching, that we might receive good news in the depth of our being and go from this place to share your love and presence in this world. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Back in March, a story broke in the news that has still held on to the headlines. It's the story of the college admissions scandal that uh, has kind of captivated so many, in part because it involves wealth and celebrity, in part because it involves something uh, as commonplace as is going off to college, right? Uh, it's a story that still we keep learning about and still has a, a hold uh, on our collective consciousness. If you don't know, the story centers around an individual named William Singer, who over seven years from 2011 to 2018 orchestrated this, this tremendous scam, getting incredibly wealthy people to pay him to bribe, to cheat, to do whatever was necessary to get their children into prestigious schools, Ivy League schools, elite West Coast schools. It, it's really a kind of sickening story, right? He would uh, take, he took millions of dollars, as much as $25 million uh, from 33 families over the years to orchestrate this fraud. Sometimes it was as blatant as have, paying someone to go take the SAT for a student so they'd get a better score. Sometimes it was blatant as uh, being in cahoots with a coach at a particular school to be able to say, just tell them that this person plays soccer, even though they've never played soccer before, and you could get them into school that way. Uh, it's sick. And, and part, I, I think part of the, the reason the story has, has grabbed on to our consciousness is, is in one way, uh, we kind of like to say that rich people are just like that, aren't they, right? They just feel so entitled to take whatever they want. Their money's going to buy them out of any problem that they ever face. Um, and in that way, when we hear the story in that way, it does allow uh, us to kind of keep a distance and say, oh, look at those people over there like that. I'm probably not going to be buying my, Oliver's way into college, you see, unless, unless there's someone, who, uh, an admissions counselor who's, who's got a thing for like Applebee's gift cards or something like that. Dana and I probably aren't going to be able to pull that off for Oliver in a few years, right? So we can say, oh, those people, look how they act. Look how they feel so entitled to, 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 to do this. But I want to move a little closer to that story today as a way of helping us to get into the scripture for us today and think about something else that might be going on here. Because I think ultimately, this is a story about good love gone wrong, good love gone bad. Because I'm sure that if you asked any of the families involved in this story, they would all tell you they loved their kids. They're just trying to do the best thing for their kids. But then when you look at what they've done, they've really not treated their kids well at all, have they? 
Well, I want you to have this good education, honey, but I don't believe that you're actually smart enough to pull it off on your own. So I'm going to buy your way into this school. And I want you to know right from wrong, son, but, but, but so that you can learn that, we're going to cheat a little bit to help you on your way, right? They become good love gone wrong. A good ambition, a good goal, a desire to see your children flourish becomes all twisted and knotted up and messed up so that actually what is produced from the action is actually something quite detrimental to the very thing that you say you love. Good love gone bad. Good love gone bad is also the heart of the story that we've read about Saul, also called Paul, in the book of Acts this morning. Saul, also called Paul, you get, uh, it, it seems the way Luke tells the story, uh, uh, he had two names. If he was in a Jewish context, a Jewish community, this man tended to go by Saul. If he was in a Gentile community, he tended to go by Paul. So over the course of the sermon, I might slip back and forth, I don't know, but I'm going to try to call him Paul just for the sake of, of clarity uh, in our story today. So we have this man named Paul uh, who is a Pharisee. And if you've read Luke's gospel, as we're reading Luke's gospel on, on Monday nights and Thursday mornings, you know that, that, that Luke in the, in the gospel is very critical of the Pharisees. Right? These are people who, 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 who seem to have their, their, their faith in God's love all up in knots. And we find these people being at odds with Jesus throughout the gospel, right? And then Jesus, in his great uh, uh, confrontation with the powers that be, finds himself betrayed, finds himself executed, finds himself risen in glory on Easter day and coming and visiting his disciples in the days after resurrection. And then Pentecost comes and the spirit descends upon those gospel, upon those disciples. And those disciples start to live in a new way, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, proclaiming him as Messiah, saying that God is doing something new in our lives through the power of the spirit because of this man who was killed and hung on a tree yet lives now with us and among us. And as that message starts to grow, as that message starts to take hold in the lives of people, particularly in and around Jerusalem, those old enemies of Jesus can't let go, can't admit defeat. And Paul, also called Saul, finds himself in the midst of that confrontation. As I told Jaden today, yes, Saul, the first time we meet this great hero called Paul, the first time we meet him anywhere in the scripture is at the event called the martyrdom of St. Stephen. St. Stephen, one of the early followers of Jesus, who just refuses to renounce Jesus, finds himself martyred, stoned to death. And it's true that when we find Saul, the first we see of him, he's literally holding the water, holding the coats of those who are executing this faithful man. And Saul seems to be consumed by that, that desire to eradicate these disciples of Jesus. So uh, the martyrdom of Stephen, as Luke tells the story, had an unattended consequence. The disciples of Jesus said, maybe we got to get out of Jerusalem. Maybe it's not so good for us to be here. So they start going out of the city. But when they go outside of the city, they do not leave the good news behind. So Saul learns that these disciples, as they're spreading away from Jerusalem, are actually taking this new good news, this new faith with them. And he's like, I got to go stop them. I got to stop this. And that's where we pick up the story today. He's gone to the leaders in Jerusalem. He says, these disciples of Jesus are on their way to Damascus. You give me a letter. I'll go there. I'll catch them. I'll bring them back here. And it's on the road to Damascus that the risen Christ 
appears to Saul, also called Paul. And he's blinded by the light. And his life is changed forever. It's true. The, the, the Pharisee becomes the great apostle. The one consumed by hate becomes the great proclaimer of reconciliation and grace. And it's the most epic, wonderful story about anybody that we read in the scripture, I think. Now, if you and I go around waiting for Jesus to strike us blind before we're going to get serious about changing our lives, we might just continue to live lives that are all knotted up and twisted. But if we can dig into the story, move a little bit closer to the story. I think there's something there that actually speaks to the wisdom of God and God's presence in our lives. It's that question that the risen Christ asked Paul. Why do you persecute me? He says. In that question, I see something at work that's very similar to how we might understand that admission scandal. Why are you doing this, Saul? What are you really trying to accomplish? And everything we know about Saul, if he were to give an honest answer to that question, he would say, I'm doing this because I love God so much. I'm doing this because I want to live right by God. And it's in that honesty and in that moment of questioning that the good love gone wrong in Saul's life starts to become clear. I think that's what's at play in the story we've read today. Paul's love, his love for God, his supposed love for neighbor is revealed to be way off because he's just become consumed by something not of love. He's become consumed with hate and animus and wanting to stamp out what God is doing. So if we go around waiting to be struck blind, we might never get there. But if we're honest to the question before us and say, where has good love gone wrong in my life? Where are those honorable things that I say that I'm all about, that I say I want to accomplish, but falling so short of? How might new life and and God's spirit come work in me when I can be honest about those things? You know, we might say, yes, my family is most important to me, right? My, my family's my top priority. I work all the time. I don't know any of them. I never spend any time with them, but they're really important to me, right? That good love gets a little bit twisted. Or, 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 or we might say that, 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 our, that our faith is so important to us. We just, we just love the Lord so much. We're kind of nasty to some of the people that he loves, but, but we love God so much. Where has good love gone wrong in our lives? Or ourselves, when we look at our own selves, our own actions, we might say, you know, I, I, I just want to be happy. I just want to enjoy life. And we do that on Friday night, and we wake up Saturday morning with a headache and aren't feeling so good, and we wonder, maybe there's more. Maybe there's got to be more to life. Where's the good love gone wrong in my life? Well, each one of us could probably add color to that story as we think about how it is that our highest aspirations and our highest dreams and our deepest loves uh, become twisted and knotted up. 
But the good news for each and every one of us is that the same Savior who met Saul, also called Paul, on the road to Damascus, comes to each and every one of us as well, coming to us in the midst of our brokenness, coming to us in the midst of our imperfections, coming to us in the midst of our screw-ups and mess-ups, and saying, I have a purpose for you, I have love for you, there is grace for you, I'm not done with you yet. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've been through, there is grace still for the journey ahead of you. There is a love present in your life that you never thought possible. And yes, you might know something of love and you might go out and you might make a mess of it, but God comes to us in the midst of our mess to clean it up, to show us a better way. That's grace. That's good news. That's resurrection living. So I don't encourage you to go from this place hoping, expecting to be struck blind by the light of the risen Savior. In fact, the church never taught that. The church never said, go out and and, and experience what Paul experienced. We've always understood that that what happened to Paul on that road was unique. And that tends not to happen to us. But that grace, that spirit, and that Savior does come to each and every one of us, inviting us to ask honest questions about what we hope to accomplish, about what we're trying to do, and to offer us help to do it better, to love better, to serve more humbly, to give of ourselves more freely so that others might have more, to know that we are loved and blessed, and in that experience of being loved and blessed, to find the wisdom and the strength to love and bless others. And when we live in that, when we live in that rhythm of God's grace received and shared, good news expands. God's people stand on a solid ground. And most importantly, those who have been led to believe that there's no love for them, there's no grace for them, there's no hope for them, come to see the light of love and peace that God shines on all. And that is why we call the story of Saul's conversion good news for all people, especially sinners like you and me. Thanks be to God then for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.